Good morning, and welcome to yet a new episode of the Geopolitical Pivot. My name is Samaj McDowell, your host, and I am glad to be back. Today, I kind of wanted to do something a bit different and kind of really give a comment or a rather intellectually based opinion on countering an adversary of growing parity in relation to not just the United States in particular, but the Western world, the Western civilization as a whole. The 21st century has demonstrated, especially after 2008, the 2008 financial crash, or crisis per se, that there are shifts that are occurring within the international order. And naturally, the international order, the global community, it's naturally anarchic. There's no overarching global unipolar entity that is able to regulate the actions, the behaviors, the, the thought processes, and you know, initiatives of individual states. States willingly abide by the rules and regulations of international or supranational organizations. However, at the end of the day, a sovereign nation does not necessarily have to abide by the institutions if they no longer respect the mechanisms, the bureaucracy, or the, the functions of a particular institution if it no longer upholds or pursues a national self-interest. But what we're seeing is this establishment of potentially a globalized political bipolar environment between the United States and the People's Republic of China. But also we're potentially seeing glimpses, depending on how the future unfolds, on a multipolar economic order that are much more regionally based rather than solely dominated by the United States, which is troubling, and very much troubling. Uh, granted, do I personally think that the Chinese yuan will replace the American dollar as the global uh, currency? No. Um, I don't believe that, simply because the confidence in the dollar is too strong. And the confidence in the dollar has everything to do with the confidence of the institutions, the American institutions, uh, that uphold the, the value of the dollar. Therefore, in order for that to change, the psychological, the, the, the psyche of the international community, when it comes to the dollar, will have to be fundamentally changed in order for that to occur. But I don't see that occurring. What I do see occurring is establishing of regional economic blocks that does not necessarily replace the, the dollar, but it may attempt to weaken the validity and the strength of the dollar, especially when the United States is now, especially in the previous administration, the United States has opted further for uh, strategic sanction, the usage of sanctions, um, which is fine. It's it's one of the the tools of statescraft. However, as we all know, that if you continuously use a particular 
means of statescraft over and over and over against your adversaries, both old and new, these particular adversaries will start to adopt new mechanisms and procedures to undervalue your preferred uh, statescraft tool uh, to ensure compliance. So what do you do now in a century of national, a new century of national security and defense where the much more traditional aspects of diplomacy or the much more traditional options of statescraft are still effective, don't get me wrong, but their effectiveness have dwindled. Well, if we're going to address a major contemporary adversary um, that has growing uh, parity and capabilities of its military, economic, financial, intelligence, um, cultural, soft power, smart power, hard power, we have to look at it in the new means of national security and approach it in a different mechanism that may not necessarily be conducive to the Western moral philosophy. That means essentially that we will have to start looking at national security from a much more non-conventional um, affair, uh, a non-conventional means of warfare to achieve our, our goals during times of peace, as well as during times of actual general conflict across that continual, that spectrum of conflict uh, outside of the now traditional means. For the United States, successful confrontations will include the usage of an asymmetric warfare and the construction of an active defense mechanism, both here within the Americas and the Western Hemisphere, the transatlantic um, hub of the global economy, but also a multilateral approach to regional uh, security and economic affairs in growing strategic features such as the Asia Indo-Pacific. Successful confrontation uh, in this notion will include things such as economic, cyber, um, information, and subversion tactics, disinformation campaigns, as well as the continuation of technological advancements in emerging technologies. Dual uses technologies are becoming the center focal point of essentially the, the next epicenter of not just economic ingenuity, but also military advancements. And if we're going to try to ensure the fullest protection of the United States, as well as the interest of the United States overseas when it comes to our strategic partners and allies, we have to really understand what the Chinese wrote about in the 1990s after their observation of the Gulf War. And that's this notions of the unrestricted warfare doctrine. But... And I'm not saying that we have to essentially become or try to mirror that of the Chinese, um, their understanding of the world and how the world and human behavior operates is of its own development over the course of 5,000 plus years and the West has their own traditional mechanisms. However, if we're going to, we as in the United States, we as in the Western world, if we're going to be able to address and really understand the key centers of adversarial uh, threats and challenges, whether it may be from the Chinese in Asia, Indo-Pacific region, or Russia within the Eastern European and now African um, spheres or feeders, or even between Russia and China and Central Asia, 
we have to understand national security from their point of view. That way, our national strategic planning can come from a sense of versatility and flexibility rather than stringent bureaucratic and status quo uh, mechanisms that may have worked in the 1960s and the 1980s, per se. Excuse me, that's notifications. Um, it may have worked during the Cold War, but may not necessarily work today. And so that's what we have to really focus on. We have to really work on. We have to kind of change the psyche and the, the readiness of the Western bureaucracy if we're going to remove the injective uh, psychological, philosophical, intellectual lethargy that we have in our systems and actually boost our confidence and understanding that we have the capabilities, the, the potential to really ensure that there is a continual sense of development when it comes to peace. The last time we've had a major war was World War II. Granted, yes, we had a Cold War and that was filled with proxies and, and advancements in technologies, but as far as an actual conventional means of warfare, it's been over 70 years. So this is an understanding that the, that the, the psychology, the global human psychology when it comes to war is fundamentally changing as there is an increase in economic interdependence. This has to be taken into consideration now when we're talking about the conducting of war in the 21st century and beyond, because no longer can major nations truly go to war in the conventional sense. It has to be now done in subversive, asymmetric, unrestricted means. So one of the avenues of approach for this new understanding of a Western active defense or a Western-based unrestricted warfare to a potential growing adversary of growing parity and capabilities would be information-based subversion tactics that has been reinforced by economic statescraft and economic warfare. With globalized integration, the sole country or countries that acquire the means of the globalization trends, they, in theory, will possess the advantage in producing and supplanting the narrative, the, the political and the, the cultural foundations to wage a subversion warfare against you know, the, a perceived enemy. This, this is a pretty powerful tool when it comes to essentially weakening the morale and national foundations and frameworks of a country without really having, having to fire a bullet or launch a missile. If I could turn the populace against the government, that in itself weakens the readiness, the capabilities, and the priorities of the adversarial administration, the perceived adversarial administration. And that way I can establish strategic spaces and exploit those very strategic spaces to undermine your status, to undermine your position, to undermine your readiness to secure your own national security. For it's recommended, and I personally recommend that the United States, or even, not even just the United States, but any particular country um, that were to be able 
to find themselves in the position of the United States as being the epicenter of globalization to wage a narrative warfare against major adversaries and religions, powers, and authorities. If you are the epicenter of all major trends around the world, you're in a very lucrative position to also impact subtly, covertly, or even often overtly the means, mechanisms, and modus operandi of, an, of other countries. Not even just adversarial countries, but also it can be utilized as a means of pressure to strategic partners that are tiptoeing on the sense of neutrality, where they're not fully committed, but they also want to commit themselves to you in exchange for goods and particular services. By utilizing media platforms, um, especially those in the West, there's a little bit of a difficulty there because we have a lot of these authoritarian countries where they publicly own the media-based uh, companies. They own the social media uh, sites. They own uh, the, the frameworks and the processes of establishing applications that people can use. However, here in the West, and in some cases, but mostly in the United States, the major global mass media frame, uh, franchises, they are privately owned. And it has their own sets of complications here in the United States, especially when it comes to notion of free speech. But the complication here is that it's very difficult for Western governments to apply pressure onto privately owned mass media companies um, in order to ensure successful wage and subversive warfare. However, that, that's not to say that the same platforms cannot be utilized. And we've kind of seen this um, in the 2016 elections, 2020, or the 2018 midterm elections, the 2020 elections, and it's most likely going to happen in the 2022 and the 2024 elections as far as foreign interference through social media platforms with the usage of bots and fake profiles to establish strategic place, uh, spaces within the American uh, population to instigate polarization and radicalization. Uh, we can sort of achieve this notion of information-based um, warfare through national security directors and initiatives and departments and agencies that are already in line right now. There's not necessarily a need to create specific or new specific departments or new agencies, administrations in order to do this operation or these operations per se. Um, it's completely possible um, to do it with the bureaucracy that we have now, as well as the strategic partnerships around the world that we have now currently. However, if, if and only if um, there is a a seriousness in wanting to ensure the containment and diminishing of adversarial powers with growing parity and capabilities, the bureaucratic mindset is going to have to truly change uh, from a ground-up approach than necessarily from a top-down approach so that true modern reforms to, in order to address modern problems can be implemented in a way that we are able to get back to long-term strategic planning 5, 10, 15 years down the road rather than settle for short-term 
one to two or two to four year success transactions. That's what's essentially killing the Western standing in the world is this inability, this incapability currently to really do long-term strategic planning and national security initiatives. This also means that when we're talking about information-based tactics, we also have to understand the, com the, the components now of finances and the overall economy, where the information-based tactics may not just be disinformation or public diplomacy, but also it can be understood as operations being conducted through finances or financial transactions or financial subversion tactics to underline or change the priorities of a national government um, through the establishing of potential artificial crises um, in order to instigate a response or to undermine, well not necessarily undermine, but to blindside and paralyze a government's uh, potential possibilities to finance critical um, economic projects or even military readiness which is why it's important that uh, federal departments such as Treasury, uh, Converse, uh, Commerce, but also Congress to really focus and hone in on trade policies and regulations as a way of a, an area denial, um, new statescraft, uh, I guess, tool. Uh, our main goal should be to block uh, those with bad intentions from getting or acquiring the components of emerging technologies with dual usage purposes. I mean, whether we could do, we can reevaluate trade incentives, corporate tax initiatives, investments to American based capabilities and infrastructures, um, denying access to resources in general, we're going to be pivotal to producing the economic downturns as a consequence. Uh, up to our adversarial authorities for those that want to directly challenge the position of the United States. As the U.S. dollar sort of remains still to this day the global reserve currency, and with the American economy being compacted with large capital markets, the United States is in a very advantageous position to wield and utilize its economic weapons or its economic markets and industries as a weapon, potential weapon. Um, and that could come in the form of FDIs, or so foreign direct investments, uh, technological export controls, um, protecting finance system securities, and improving strategic infrastructure and materials that includes rare earth minerals, uh, by my, by combining information-based warfare with a modernized economic mechanism, you'll be able to essentially slow the aggression and the aggrandizement of an adversarial power with growing parity capabilities. However, you don't want to just stop there, per se. You want to also become much more ambitious with reversing the public diplomacy, but then going on an aggressive initiative via trade initiatives with the Global South, so the developing and underdeveloped world, as well as establishing our own geostrategic spaces uh, to construct an economic anti-access aerial denial component of an American-based or Western-based active defense mechanism 
to ensure that once an adversarial power has been removed from this particular geographic space, they can no longer return into the space, or if they are able to return into the space, they'd be able to, but at a very minimal uh, percentage than what they may have normally or previously been operating out of. Now, I don't want to keep on going too long now. We're about 20, I've been talking about 20 minutes, so I'm going to cut it here, and then I will come back maybe later on today or sometime tomorrow and do a part two um, where we can kind of talk about uh, space, um, but also cyber spacecraft and how those are also ways of countering an adversary of growing parity capabilities um, to the United States in specific, but also the West in general. Thank you, and I hope that you have a very, very blessed day.